Good morning, church family. Pray that you are all well. As we will be opening up this morning to Mark chapter 10, and we'll be looking specifically today at verses 1 through 12, or when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ offers some teachings on the topic of divorce, which comes to us, church, not only following the glorious transfiguration of Jesus Christ, but also after Jesus Christ taught his disciples about the way to true greatness. In essence, that the way to true greatness does not come by putting yourself first, or by putting others last, or by trying to be served by all, but that instead true greatness comes by dying to self, by putting yourself last, by counting others as more significant than yourself, and by humbly being a servant to all, even to let that of the least of these, which was displayed perfectly for us, church, by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who came into this world not in order to be served, but in order to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many. However, here today, we come across the teachings of Jesus Christ concerning this topic of divorce, a topic, church, that I know can bring up a lot of pain and anxiety and fear and shame from church members and from non-church members alike, since this act of divorce not only can hurt the married couple that it separates, but also can cause trauma to the children of the couple and division amongst the extended family of the couple, and shock and distress amongst the friends of the couple, and most certainly pain and agony to the church family of the couple as well. And although conservative Christians who attend church regularly are about 35% less likely to get divorced than those who are without any religious affiliation, according to a study done back in 2015, the fact of the matter is that divorce has had and continues to have a significant and painful impact on families across evangelical America today. And thus it is because of that that I want all of you here this morning to know that it is my goal here today to present and to share with you all exactly what the Word of God says about divorce and to call us then as a church family to be obedient to that word. No matter what this world around us says, thinks, or does concerning this topic of divorce, but to do it in a way that is compassionate and loving and empathetic and saturated in gospel grace due to the pain that I know divorce has caused so many families and individuals again throughout evangelical America today. Which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. God's desire for marriage is that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and that the two shall become one flesh and not be separated. And our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. God's desire for marriage is that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and that the two shall become one flesh and not be separated. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning 
to Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to take and to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you, since we want you to have your very own copy of the Word of God this morning. However, if indeed you do take and keep one of our church Bibles, the only thing we ask in return is that you read it, starting today by turning that brand new Bible of yours to page 845. And by joining us as we as a church family hear the word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 10 this morning, church. And we'll be looking specifically at verses 1 through 12. Where John Mark, the author of the gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you open our eyes, our ears, and soften our hearts this morning to receive your perfect and infallible and inerrant and sufficient word that you have given us. And Father, as we hear and listen to your word, Father, I pray that it transform us. I'm under no illusion this morning, knowing that this topic of divorce causes much pain to many individuals who hear about it. Lord, if we have individuals here this morning still nursing the wounds of a previous divorce or dealing with the temptation of a current divorce, Father, I pray Lord, that this sermon strengthens them in your gospel this morning knowing that there is room for individuals who are divorced in the kingdom of God, while at the same time in love balancing the fact, Father, that you hate divorce, but at the same time because of the hardness of heart of man that you have given two clear allowances for divorce. So, Father, let us all balance all of this this morning and through it all submit ourselves to your teaching since we know that your word is good that it is best and it was ultimately brings the most glory to you. 
Father, help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning. Father, let me rely completely on your spirit to glorify you through the preaching of your perfect word this morning and to edify each one of these dear saints here today as well. Father, we pray that what we have to offer you on this Lord's Day as part of our worship service is a fragrant and beautiful sacrifice to you. Do this mighty work, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one. God's desire for marriage is that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and that the two shall become one flesh and not be separated. Same as our thesis. Again, God's desire for marriage is that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and that the two shall become one flesh and not be separated. Verses 1 through 9, where John Mark writes, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed for a man to, to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So as we open here, church, we see that Jesus Christ has left at this time, verse 1, there. There being that of Capernaum from Mark chapter 9, verse 33, and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan River, likely communicating, church, that Jesus Christ headed about 60 miles south from Capernaum into the region of Judea, and then likely headed east and crossed over the Jordan River into the region of Perea. And essence, still slowly making his way, church, toward that of Jerusalem, where he, Jesus Christ, would ultimately be delivered over to be crucified. Nevertheless, as we then see in verse 1, crowds then began to gather around Jesus Christ, and as was his custom, or as we have seen him do over and over and over again throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus Christ then began to teach them. However, as we go on to see in verse 2, Self-righteous Pharisees then, or that of the religious leaders of the day who opposed that of Jesus Christ, for they then came up to Jesus Christ in order, verse 2, to test him, or as the New Living Translation puts it, in order to try to trap him. And the question that they, the Pharisees, asked Jesus Christ in order to try to trap or to test him was, for is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And the test, or the trap, if you will, behind that question seems to revolve around the fact 
that at this time, church, there were two main schools of thought concerning this concept of divorce, both of which coming from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1, which reads that when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her then a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And the debate here, church, revolved around this word indecency, or what exactly this word indecency actually meant. Because one school of thought, or the school known as the Shammai, thought that the word indecency here meant that of sexual immorality or that of adultery. Whereas the other school of thought, or the school known as the Hallel, thought that the word indecency actually meant something that was far more broad than that, to the point that almost anything that a husband did not like or find appropriate about his wife was considered then grounds for divorce. For example, if a husband did not like his wife's attitude toward him or the way she was treating him or even, as one scholar pointed out, the way that she was cooking for him, that all of that then, church, could be considered grounds for divorce according to this Hallel school of thought. And thus, with that context in mind, the Pharisees then asked Jesus Christ in verse 2, in essence, for where do you then stand on this topic concerning divorce? Again, with the goal being to try to trap him, church, and to use his answer to get others to oppose him. To which Jesus Christ then responds back to the Pharisees here in verse 3 by saying to them, For what did Moses command you? To which the Pharisees then respond back to Jesus Christ in verse 4 by saying, that Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. In essence, trying to use Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4 here, church, in order to make their appeal. However, as Mark Strauss goes on to explain, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, does not explicitly sanction divorce, nor does it set any grounds for divorce, but instead simply recognizes the reality of divorce and that it happens. And furthermore stipulates that a man who divorces his wife may not remarry her after she remarries and is divorced a second time. In essence, in order to protect the wife from arbitrary divorce here. Which is why Jesus Christ then says back to them in verse 5, that it was because of your hardness of heart that he, Moses, had to write this commandment and that God never, ever, ever commanded divorce or promoted divorce or advocated for, encouraged or divinely desired that of divorce, but that instead because of his people's hardness of heart, God in his mercy allowed for them to write a certificate of divorce in order to limit all the terrible repercussions and consequences that could take place, particularly to that of the women who had ungodly husbands just whimsically divorcing them for no legitimate reason. However, simply because God made a concession for divorce, for that does not mean then, church, that divorce was ever God's desired plan for the covenant of marriage. 
And I say that because as Jesus Christ goes on to share here in verses 6 through 9, that from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. In essence, church, that is what was, what is, and continues to be our God's desire for his people within the covenant of marriage. And that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Not, church, that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his husband, nor shall a woman leave her father and mother and hold fast to her wife, but that instead, as we see Jesus Christ affirm here by quoting from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 in verse 6 here, and from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 in verses 7 and 8 here, that the covenant of marriage created by God from the very beginning of creation was for a man to leave his father and mother and to hold fast to his wife, and that the two shall become one flesh. And not only that, church, but as we go on to see in verse 9, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And thus, even though the fall took place in Genesis chapter 3, and sin entered into this world, and God made a concession for divorce, our God's standard church, and his desire church, and his ideal for marriage church has always been, and always will continue to be, that when one man and one woman are joined together by God within the covenant of marriage, that it should be on this side of eternity, a constant and enduring and permanent relationship. Author Roderick McFarlane in 1992 shared that on the 50th wedding anniversary of his grandmother, that she revealed on that day the secret to her long and happy marriage. For she said, on my wedding day 50 years ago, I decided to choose Ten of my husband's biggest faults, which for the sake of our marriage I would overlook. To which someone then asked, well, what were some of his faults that you overlooked for the past 50 years? Well, to tell you the truth, she said, I ne never did get around to actually making that list. But whenever my husband did something that made me irritated at him, I would just say to myself, lucky for him, that one must be on the list. Brother Christian, Sister Christian, after looking at numerous articles and surveys this week concerning some of the main reasons why married couples today are currently getting divorced, some of the most popular reasons cited by the research are as follows. A conflict between the spouses. A lack of commitment to one another. A breakdown in communication between each other. Their relationship grew apart. They developed different values or different morals during their time together. Financial problems arose. Debt arose. Immaturity problems arose. And finally, a lack of shared interests began to put a wedge between the two. For people, church, will use just about any reason out there today in order to get divorced from their spouse. 
And thus, because of that, we have got to purge our minds then, church, of this lie and of this deceit and of this distortion and dishonesty and this absolute deception that is out there today that simply because our marriage is not making us 100% happy 100% of the time that our marriage then should just merely be dissolved or simply because our spouse is not meeting each and every one of our demands, wants, desires, and wishes that our spouses then should just quickly be kicked to the curb or simply because our marriage relationship is not the happily ever after fairy tale that we all thought it would be, that we should just instantly then jump ship, hire a lawyer, file for divorce, and happily then just move on with our little married life. Because the fact of the matter is that although married life can be tough, and it can be trying, and it can be difficult, and demanding, and challenging, and at times downright hard, what our God has joined together within the covenant of marriage was never meant to be momentary church, or transitory church, or temporary, short-lived, brief, or that a fleeting church, but that instead when our God joins a man and a woman together within the covenant of marriage, he does so church with the desire being that it should be a relationship that on this side of eternity remains permanent. Which brings us to point number two. Despite God desiring for all marriages to be permanent relationships, God does indeed grant a pair of exceptions for divorce due to mankind's hardness of heart. Again, point number two. Despite God desiring for all marriages to be permanent relationships, God does indeed grant a pair of exceptions for divorce due to mankind's hardness of heart. Verses 10 through 12. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So after Jesus Christ finishes with the aforementioned Pharisees, we then see in verse 10 that Jesus' own disciples ask him again about this matter. And Jesus Christ, he responds back to them in verses 11 and 12 by saying that whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And at face value here, church, it seems as though what Jesus Christ is saying is that if anyone divorces their spouse and ends up marrying someone else, that they ultimately then sin and commit adultery. No exceptions, no allowances, and no provisions here whatsoever. However, if we do our due diligence as proper students of the Bible and take a look at this account in Matthew chapter 19, we see there, church, that the gospel writer Matthew also records Jesus Christ saying here in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. 
and that Jesus Christ does indeed give an exception here, church, for divorce. That exception being that of sexual immorality, likely referring to that of adultery here. And furthermore, as the Apostle Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, that if a non-Christian decides to separate themselves from their Christian spouse, that the Christian then can be at peace and go through with the divorce here as well. An exception that many theologians conclude that physical abuse actually falls into regarding physical abuse as a kind of desertion. Nevertheless, what we have here, church, is that the Bible then seems to be giving us two allowances for that of divorce, and in both cases also seems to allow for the innocent party to remarry a Christian then as well. Those allowances being, number one, sexual immorality, Matthew chapter 19, and number two, when an unbelieving spouse deserts or separates themselves from their believing spouse, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. However, again, church, simply because God has granted these particular allowances for divorce. For that does not mean, then, that we as Christians should ever look favorably at divorce or take joy in that of divorce or celebrate the fact that divorce has taken place in someone's life. For there was an article I read this week published back in 2011 about a former rock star by the name of Jack White and his wife, a former supermodel by the name of Karen Elson, who after announcing their divorce, decided to throw a party to celebrate the end of their six-year marriage. The article writes that in honor of the time shared, we are throwing a divorce party to reaffirm our friendship and to celebrate the past and the future, the couple said in a joint statement about the bash that will include dancing, photos, memories, and drinks with alcohol in them. We feel so fortunate for the time we have shared and the time that we will continue to spend both separately and together watching our two children grow, the statement added. For in 2005, Jack White, 35, married the British supermodel in an exotic ceremony on a canoe on the Amazon River. The rocker Jack White was previously married to his bandmate, Meg White, from 96 to 2000. And she then served as the maid of honor at her ex's, Jack White's, marriage to Elson. For you can't make this stuff up, can you, church? <laughs> and that's because of that, I'm going to close point number two with this. For although our God has indeed granted two biblical allowances for divorce, those allowances being sexual immorality, and if an unbeliever leaves or separates themselves from their believing spouse, the fact of the matter remains, church, that our God, that he absolutely hates that of divorce. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. And thus, because of our God's hatred for divorce, and because of his two allowances for divorce, for we then as Christians have got to make sure then, number one, that we do not ever view divorce as something that is commanded by God, or promoted by God, or encouraged, desired, or that is 
pleasing to our God, while at the same time also making sure, number two, that if our brother or our sister in Christ does indeed get a divorce, according to the biblical provisions given to them by God himself in his most holy word, that we do not then, as Christians, judge them, or condemn them, or denounce them, mistreat them, kick them to the curb right out of the church, and begin then to look down upon them, but that we instead, as Kent Hughes so compassionately writes, mourn with them, Christian, and share in their sufferings with them, Christian, and to be sure not to call unclean what our God has called clean here, Christian. Now, as we begin to close here this morning, church, I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who is here first. And although you have heard me speak nearly entirely non-Christian about marriage this morning and about divorce this morning and about the allowances given to us by God for divorce here this morning, for if there is only one thing that I want you to take away from my sermon this morning, non-Christian, please, please, please let it be this. For let it be the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who loved his bride, the church, so much non-Christian that he, Jesus Christ, literally gave himself up for her, all in order to save her from her sins. And he did that, non-Christian, by initially coming into this world as truly God and as truly man, and by living for us the life that we could never live and that the law of God that we as sinners break over and over and over again each and every day. Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, he never broke that law once, but instead lived a sinless and righteous and holy life here on earth and thus fulfilled in its entirety, non-Christian, the very law of God, perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense or for the very children of God. However, simply keeping the law of God all for the very children of God, for that in and of itself, non-Christian, was not enough to save the children of God from their sin. Since the price of our sin, non-Christian, or the cost of our sin, non-Christian, is that of death. And thus because of that, Jesus Christ willingly then paid the price for our sin by literally being crucified and killed and crushed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute as the atoning sacrifice for our very sins, a sacrifice, non-Christian, that appeased and satisfied the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. And thus, because Jesus Christ then, non-Christian, this sinless Son of God, appeased then the wrath of a holy God all toward the very children of God. Three days later then, Jesus Christ, for he didn't remain dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life, non-Christian, to all who place 
their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you can walk out of here this morning completely forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I'd like to do so simply with this. For marriage right now, Christian, as defined by the Holy Scriptures, make no mistake about it, is under attack. For our adversary, the devil, absolutely hates God-fearing, Bible-believing, gospel-displaying marriages within our society today. And thus, in order for us as Christians to guard our marriages against this evil one and to grow as Christian husbands and Christian wives in Christ's likeness and to have our marriages be honoring and pleasing and glorifying to our God, for we must, must, must then follow our God's perfect commandments concerning our roles as Christian husbands and Christian wives within our covenants of marriage, which means then that Christian wives, that you have got to be willing then to submit to your husbands as to the Lord, Ephesians 5, verse 22, and that you take all of your giftings and talents, intelligence and kindness, brilliance and passion and excitement, and use them proactively, wives, in order to build up and respect and submit to the loving leadership of your husband as you honor and serve the Lord, and that Christian husband that you've got to be willing then to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5, verse 25. And that you do not fall into the trap of thinking. That you can somehow put your fishing trips, or your golf outings, or your wing nights, hobbies, amusements, or time alone above and beyond the spiritual needs of your wife or any other needs of your wife for that matter, since that is not the pattern of Jesus Christ. Since the pattern of Jesus Christ calls for you, Christian husband, to love your bride as Christ loved the church, faithfully, self-sacrificially, and always willing to give yourself up for her day by day, even to the point of death. And thus lovingly, let me encourage each and every one of our married congregants here today to faithfully then fulfill God's perfect role for you within your covenant of marriage. And that our Christian wives freely submit to and respect their husbands as to the Lord. And that our Christian husbands love their wives as Jesus Christ loved his church. So that 
together then you can grow in Christ-likeness, strengthen each other in the faith, overcome the temptations of the evil one, and display to this fallen and broken and depraved world the glorious relationship, Christian, between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body seek to honor you, God, through our covenants of marriage. For there are so many temptations out there today seeking to attack and destroy and to undermine your glorious gift, Father, of marriage. And thus give us the wisdom and the grace and the empathy needed, Lord, to care well for all individuals who have gone through a divorce or who still have wounds from a previous divorce or who are simply struggling in their marriage relationship at this time. And let us be quick then, Father, to point them to the redeeming and the all-sustaining power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And also, Father, help our wives here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church to grow in Christ-likeness as they submit to and respect their husbands as to the Lord. And help our husbands here, Father, at Faith Bible Fellowship Church as well to grow in Christ likeness as they love their wives as Christ loved the church for keep us all father from the lies and the temptations and the deceptions of the evil one so that what you have joined together within our covenants of marriage here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church will remain permanent.